Kate Wheeler in studio with Christine Bentley, and you are listening to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today's show is brought to you by Kobo, and if you're desperately looking for a good read and who isn't, do check out our Books with Buzz list. It's up at kobo.com slash what she said. That makes it easy. And we have a fabulous show lined up for you, starting off with 14-year-old Canadian teen blogger, motivational speaker, and social activist Hannah Alper. Who doesn't love her? Mm -hmm. Uh, She has released her first book called Momentous Small Acts, Big Change, that explores the lives of other social activists who have inspired her. And trust me, anybody who's inspired her must be really something. Mm -hmm. And the significant impacts that they are making all over the world. Dr. Patricia. Patrice Lindsay, director of Stroke at Heart and Stroke, is going to tell us about a study taking a look at stroke and pregnancy. She's going to be joined by survivor Anna Sophia Jody, who experienced two strokes during uh, one of her pregnancies. And now a scary topic as roughly 30 out of 100,000 women will experience a stroke during their pregnancy period. And Christine, like when we interviewed her, we both said, like, I had never heard of this. No. I know. No, absolutely not. Uh, more than five, this is something you have heard of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> more than five million Canadians are turning to opioids and painkillers as a first step to managing their frustrating daily muscle and joint pain. We're going to discuss Canada's opioid crisis with chiropractic f- physician Dr. Sapna Siran and find out effective ways that we can manage pain before we turn to medication, and especially that kind of medication. Mm, Absolutely. Musicologist Eric Alper is going to be here with the five best songs written about other musicians in On the Record. And Tracy Nestle, the VP of Communications at Rakuten Kobo, Inc., is going to tell us about some great books uh, to take our minds off what was the eternal winter and launch us solidly into the summer. We think it's finally gone for good, that bad weather, but you never know. It is Canada. All we know is that the potholes are breeding (laughs) like rabbits. That is true. My son just had his third tire in four months replaced Mm -hmm. on his brand new Mercedes. Mm -hmm. 600 a pop. Mm -hmm. All from potholes. Tire plan. Take the tire plan. Take the tire plan. (laughs) Closing out the show, performing in our live studio sessions, we have Graydon James and Laura Spink, also known as the Young Novelists. I'm interested to find out why they named themselves that. Yes, it's a, well, a a literary musical conundrum. Make sure you check out whatshesaidtalk.com where you can find links to all of our social media sites, watch videos and enter contests. And don't forget, every Wednesday morning at 10, we go live on Facebook and give away prizes from our guests. And we also tell you who's going to be on the show for the weekend. And speaking of prizes, we're giving away a $150 Bigley Shoes and Clothing gift card. Really, you probably need $1,500 if you go. Anyway, it's a start. And one family meal delivery from Rose's Family Meals, as well as the signed Rose Reisman Rush Hour Meals cookbook. All the details are on the site now. She said. 
Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back. Joining us once again is Canadian teen blogger, motivational speaker, social activist, Hannah Alper, who has released her first book called Momentous Small Acts, Big Change at just 14 years old. Welcome back to what she said. Thank you so much for having me. I was on this show when I was really, really young, so it's really cool to be back here. <laughs> really, really young. You're 14 now. You started yes. blogging at nine. Yes. I know. It blogging was amazing. Blogging at nine, but now you are a published author. How? To, actually, I know how it felt when you saw the books because I watched your dad's periscope go yeah. up and you were blown away when you saw that it was books. very surreal because it's all of the hard work that I had put into it and my family and I had put into it really just adding up and so it was so cool and surreal see just really seeing it come together and come to life well the book explores the lives of the social activists who have inspired you and the significant impact they are actually making on our world yeah why did you want to write this book well, I think it's in just another really amazing outlet for me to share what I'm passionate about. I mean, like you said, I started my blog when I was nine years old out of my love for the environment. And it's really just kept growing in my passions. And this is just such a great outlet for me to share what I'm passionate about in my messages. And I'm so excited to see what people do to make a difference right after they read the book. Well, it's called Momentous, Small Acts, Big Change. Yes. So um, I've read the book and, and I understand that it's just, it's the little things. It's the little things. And I mean, it really grew out of the idea that anyone can make the world a better place. No matter your age, where you live, how much money you have, you can make a difference. And it also grew out of the idea that it's the small things that add up to big change. The little tangible things that we do add up to make a big difference. And we have to do all of this together. We can't do it alone. So tell us. Who was the first person who inspired you at eight or nine or yeah. whenever you wrote your first blog? Who, yes. who, what was it, who was it that mm -hmm. you said, I can say something? Well, it's Severin Suzuki, who is David Suzuki's daughter. And I didn't know that she was David Suzuki's daughter. And don't get me wrong, David Suzuki is obviously so inspiring. But her daughter, personally, is more inspiring to me because um, my mom showed me a Facebook video of this Dove campaign called Women That Should Be Famous. And one of those women was Severin Suzuki. She, at four years old, she launched her own uh, club about the environment and about animals. And by that time, I was just starting to discover about the damage to the environment and how it affects the animals. And it was amazing seeing her and watching this video because she has she's one of the biggest environmentalists and one of the biggest Canadian environmentalists. And at 13, 12 years old, she spoke at the United Nations. And when I saw that and I had seen how much she was doing at such a young age, I was so inspired. And this was in 1995, but I was so inspired by her and everything that she was doing. And I looked at her and her speaking, and I asked my mom, do you think that I can do that? Do you think that I can speak and people will listen? 
And my mom said yes. And so I think that 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 was she's really my biggest role model or my first role model. And I'm really happy that I got to feature Severn as the first person in in my book because it's very fitting because she was my first role model and motivated me to go into public speaking. So out of the 19 exclusive interviews that you conducted with activists, celebrities, youth change makers, one of them, of course, Nobel Peace Prize winner Malala Yousafzai, which one would you say has of the interview subjects has had the most impact on you overall every single role model that I featured they are my role models are so incredible and I've created such big change but the ones that I really relate to the most are the youth that I featured in my book because I relate to them Mm -hmm. I featured this uh, girl named Vivian Har who at eight years old uh, she was so passionate about child labor that she decided to do a lemonade stand for 365 days to get kids out of child labor now you might think oh it's a lemonade stand it's not going to work but in fact in six months she raised over a hundred thousand dollars to get kids out of child labor and by the time those 365 days were up she got over 500 kids out of child labor and so it's kids like her and people that I interviewed like Malala who's also a youth Mm -hmm. who just kept reinforcing that motto that anyone can make a difference and that no matter how young you are you can make a huge difference in the world and I loved interviewing the young people I think that I just really connected with them and it was so cool talking to these people because they inspire me. What were some of the other topics uh, that th- that your yeah. the people you wrote about were passionate about? Yeah, so I featured issues like anti-bullying, poverty, education, clean water, indigenous rights and truth and reconciliation is something that I really wanted to focus on. And I got one of my friends who is an indigenous rights activist to talk about that. So many different issues that really that really are hoping I'm hoping that will educate people that will educate readers about these issues and see it from my view and see it from these from my role models view. So who who would you say the book is for? Is it for everyone? It's for everyone. It's for all ages and I I really believe that it's set up for all ages and it's for people who want to make a difference, for people who are looking to but don't know how or people that want that are already making a difference and want to take that next step on their journey. And I'm really really excited to see what people do after they read the book to make a difference. And how, how are yeah. you going to find out? Did you do you social, media. To, social media? Yeah. Social media. Hashtag momentous. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I've been like looking and seeing people buying the book. So I'm really excited to see what people do after they after they read it. So, Hannah, for anyone listening, you are in terms of social justice, you are very precocious, as yeah. are many of the of the people who have inspired you. But Somebody who's older, who has not really turned their mind to it, could they could they do something? Would would something that they say today make a difference? Or is it too late? Something that an adult says? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're never too young or too old to make a difference. Like it doesn't matter your age, you can make a difference in the world. Uh, there are so many activists that are of all ages. Craig Kielberger, he's he's a great example. He started when he um, the WE organization when he was 12 years old. Now he's in his 30s and he is still going so strong and is one of the most successful charities in Canada. But what if you're 50 and you've never done anything? Well, then you can still you can still do something. I think raising awareness about an issue is something that's so important. Raising money is also like don't donating your money. But not just that, but donating your time or mm-hmm. your voice to causes is so important. And you can do that with any age, whether you're five or 50. 
it doesn't matter because it can you can make a difference in so many ways no matter how old you are. Hannah, when you um what grade are you in now? Nine? I'm in grade nine, yeah. So high school. But you didn't always have a great time with your peers at no. high school. No, last year last year I didn't. Uh, people were sort of negatively judging every uh, my activism and what I was doing, and it sucked because this is something that I really love to do, and I didn't like the people weren't didn't like what I was doing because I was doing something that not a lot of my peers were doing, which was different. And a lot of they were envious because like you were in the spotlight, kind of thing. Um, I really don't know. I think so, but I'm really happy that now there's this like positive environment all around me, and I just sort of tried to surround myself with positive people. So you're so busy. How, how are you? I mean, school. <laughs> it's, hard. And, it's really hard. And it, everything is hard. And yeah, and I'm not very good with number with numbers. And so, you know, I have science this semester. And so it's definitely really difficult. But I really believe that my, my biggest champions besides my parents have been my teachers. Because whenever I've asked them, so I'm going to be away tomorrow. Is, is this okay? I'm going to be doing this. Is that okay? And they always say yes, because they understand how important this is for me and for the world. And they're just so great. They're, they're so gracious. And I, I love them. Do you What's, still want to be a journalist? Yes, I would love. <laughs> I, I discovered that like maybe a year and a half ago or something. I started watching the West Wing, the, not the West Wing. Well, I do watch the West Wing, but the Newsroom, which is the, oh, the show. The Newsroom was yeah. a great show. Yeah, yeah, about broadcasting, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it, and I just saw how busy it was, and I decided I want to do that with my life. Well, what what's next for you in the shorter term? <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, high school. Um, yeah. High school is something that I'm definitely focusing on, and I'm really I'm really excited because there's so many different people in high school with different interests, and so I. Love Love it. Uh, we Day. I'm doing We Day right now, and it's so much fun. And I love meeting youth from all across North America who are making a difference and changing the world. I love about We, we Day is you can't buy a ticket. You have to earn it, right? You, you earn it through service. And it's like it's this big community of young people who are passionate about creating change. Honestly, whenever I see the young people and whenever I meet them, I just feel constantly inspired by all the energy that they have to make a difference. Well, if you're meeting young people, what are we? <laughs> She's 14. <laughs> There's so many adults that are making a difference. I love meeting them too, like you guys. Okay, this is called, the book is called Momentous, Small Acts, Big Change. It is Hannah's voice. It's, it's a call to action. And it is, she's at that Hannah Alper on yes, all social media. And the hashtag to tell Hannah, let you. Let her know what you've done once you've read the book and the little change you make is just hashtag moment us. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. What she said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good to grow high interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half calf, half sweet, no foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian. Expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. 
Fashion is everything when it comes to hair, so trust your hair to an artist. Jason Kearns of Kearns & Co. is known across North America for making the hottest high fashion looks work for real people. Jason and his team of expert stylists bring together creativity, vision, and the very latest hair care systems, color, and products to create looks that have heads turning. Your hair is the most important fashion accessory you will ever own. Trust it to the experts. Start today. Visit KearnsandCo.com. This is 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said. A new Canadian study revealed that stroke in women during pregnancy is three times higher than stroke in non-pregnant women of the same age. Joining us now to discuss this is Dr. Patrice Lindsay, Director of Stroke at Heart and Stroke Foundation and survivor Anna Sophia Jody. Thank you both for joining us tonight. Now, the study was published in the International Journal of Stroke. It also found that roughly 30 out of 100,000 women will experience a stroke during the pregnancy period. Dr. Patrice, tell, uh, tell us about the first phase of this study. So what we did is looked at a lot of reported studies about stroke and pregnancy to understand just how big an issue this was. Right. And what we know is that women of childbearing age who are not pregnant will have a stroke maybe 10 out of 100,000, but that it actually triples to 30 in 100,000 for somebody who's pregnant. Now, Anna, you're, you're currently eight months pregnant, and you experienced two strokes during your previous pregnancy. That must have been incredibly scary. Tell, tell us what happened. I was actually at work, and both of my um, strokes happened at work when I was delivering a lecture or during the meetings. And... Um, it, it was a very strange feeling. I just felt a little bit off. My headache was very mild. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would say it was about 3 or 4. Mm -hmm. I was a little hungry, and then I had a blind spot, and that's it. There was um, no face drooping, no other symptoms that usually associated with strokes. And when I came to Sunnybrook and I had an MRI, only then it was diagnosed that, the, that they, there was a stroke. Now, Christine and I are both like, yeah. stunned because yeah. we, we didn't know that this... This wasn't. We didn't know that this was a trend or an issue. That it was, this was an important stat for for pregnant women mm -hmm. to know. And then we also find out that some babies have strokes in utero. So this is all new to me. Um, were was your baby okay? Yes, the baby and myself we were okay after the two strokes. And I think it's important to note that anybody can have a stroke at any time of their lives, young or old, healthy or not. I was instructed with a running room at the time at Klein CM Tower. I was very healthy. There is no family history, no high cholesterol, no high blood pressure, preeclampsia symptoms, nothing of the sort. So, doc Dr. Lindsay, what's going on? What, is it just that pregnancy, what, for what reason does pregnancy increase the risk of stroke? Well, there's a lot of changes that happen to a woman's body during pregnancy. Um, what we see is actually most of those strokes tend to happen later in the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And at that time, it's, it's more common to have high blood pressure mm -hmm. and, and to have that become really severe to a condition called eclampsia or preeclampsia, where, where blood pressure gets too high and really out of control. That puts them, uh, women at much higher risk. We also have the issues of um, diabetes that some women will have during pregnancy. 
And then near the end of your pregnancy, your blood starts to thicken up and be a little stickier because you're getting ready um, to deliver in the hormonal changes. So all of these different things can contribute to an increased risk of stroke. So let me ask you, could a pregnant woman, woman go into her doctor and, and be told, look, you're ripe for this? Or, or do you just have to wait and try and make sure that – because when you're pregnant, it's not your normal body anyway. So it's hard, it would be hard for me to say, oh, that's something unusual because I couldn't sleep when I was pregnant. I mean, there were tons of things. So what we're doing as the next part of this work is we've actually um, releasing guidelines for doctors on how to be more aware and what to think about. So any woman of childbearing age should have her risk factors assessed as a normal part of, mm-hmm. of any early pregnancy care and monitored throughout pregnancy. You know, the normal things of weight gain, and weight gain in pregnancy is normal and needed, mm-hmm. but if it becomes really excessive, um, diet is the biggest thing, sodium salt intake, um, eating healthier, fresher foods instead of processed, high-fat foods, and getting exercise. So even though it's hard, you know, as you get later, that is so important throughout your life and especially during pregnancy. But, but, but Anna-Sophia, you know, you <laughs> seem to be doing everything perfectly the first time round. Um, have you done anything differently this time based on that previous experience? From what my doctor told me and after doing everything from simple blood work to a spinal tap, the um, my, my diagnosis is migraineous infarct. So um, my doctor, Dr. Schwartz, he did say that I'm a perfect candidate for a diagnosis that uh, hormonal disbalance also can cause migraines. Mm-hmm. Um, hence the headache that I was experiencing, no matter how mild, can cause um blood flow restriction, and hence cause a stroke. How scared were you to get pregnant again? Um, Everybody else were scared. (laughs) I was not very scared because in Dr. Schwartz's office, I did meet other pregnant women, second pregnancies, absolutely no issues. Hmm. That's... It gave me hope. Yeah. <laughs> now, Dr. Schwartz, is, is, is he an exception then to the rule? Um Dr. Lindsay, about doctors being aware or or putting this on their list of what to scan for or look for or prepare for? Well, Dr. Schwartz is a stroke neurologist, right. so he's a specialist in stroke. And the, the really neat thing that's been happening is through this um, study is getting obstetricians mm-hmm. and specialists in fetal maternal medicine and neurologists to be working together and talking together. So all the work we did was actually a team combined of, of both specialties. And it's that collaboration which is really important. Mm-hmm. to help um, give any woman the best outcome if there's any risk or concerns. So what's your recommendation to women who are pregnant to say to their healthcare um, professionals? Well, the one thing we don't want is for every pregnant woman to suddenly become fearful. Right. Right. So, you know, good antenatal care, making sure you're checking in with your healthcare providers on a regular basis, doing the healthy eating exercise pieces. If there's any concerns, ask about them. Um, think about the vascular risk factors you might have, which are all the things we you know, commonly know, blood pressure. And, but ask questions. If you have concerns, just ask questions of your healthcare providers. If there's anything that they think um, is off, they, will, mm-hmm. they should be doing tests to 
to check that and to watch you more closely. Now, the second phase of this study is called Managing Stroke in Pregnancy, a new Canadian consensus statement, and was presented at the 2017 Canadian Stroke Congress earlier this Mm -hmm. month. What can you tell us about that? So this was this um, collaborative team of, of neurologists and different medical specialties coming together to say, what would you do to manage this patient if stroke happened during pregnancy? Because there's concerns about you know, radiation, if we were going to take someone for an MRI or a CT scan, how much effect would that have on the baby? What medications are safe that may not cross, you know, the placenta? So all of those things we took into consideration. We spent months and months with this group talking about all these things. There's very little research evidence, so we came out with practical guidelines, practical advice, really, in what to do if. And, and the most important what to do if is make sure you reach out and contact experts to help you. And has that information been translated to or or sent out to all GPs and all obstetricians and across the country? We will be publishing it in the next uh, month or so, and then that's the next phase of our work. And shows like this are really huge at helping us get the message out. And Heart and Stroke will be working very hard to make sure people are aware and know where to look for advice. And Anna, what, what's your message to other women who are hearing the story tonight? I 100% agree with Dr. Lindsay in terms of you have to follow what your doctor tells you, exercise, healthy uh, lifestyle, get tons of sleep, all the fluids and all the nutrients you can to yourself and your baby to lower the risk of stroke. But uh, nobody's immune. So if you experience something that's off with your health or um, you have some weird symptoms like headaches or flashing lights or blind spots like I had, just please go to the ER and insist on um, getting a checkup and do not disregard your symptoms and just go on with your day. It's interesting because I I get migraines and I suffer from visual migraines and I had a couple of visual migraines. So, you know, seeing the aura and spots um, before my eyes, but I just put them down to a migraine. So if I had known that knowledge then, I would have gone and asked to make sure mm-hmm. I was okay. But no other no other symptoms other than what I would call a normal migraine. You see, I never had a normal migraine before in my life. So it was extremely surprising for me to see flashing lights and aura. And that's when I learned what aura is. It's kind of wild. Migraine really. is. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us and sharing all this information. I, I'm, I'm sure it's invaluable, absolutely invaluable. And people can go uh, and learn more at heartandstroke.ca. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's Good to Grow High Interest Savings Account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. 
Today's the day to try something new. Second City Training Center is home to North America's largest school of improv. Whether you're looking to build confidence through a public speaking class, test out some new material at the stand-up drop-in series, or just want to stop by and see what's up with improv, they'd love to have you. Visit them online today at secondcity.com slash TC or call 416-340-7270. This is 105.9 The Region. Joining us now for On the Record is musicologist Eric Alper. And today we are talking about the five best songs written about other musicians. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Now that was Stevie Wonder's iconic Sir Duke. Sir Duke. Yeah. And I like this topic a lot because sometimes if you want to know how important or how great another musician is, all you have to really do is just ask a musician. For years, I thought somebody like Ringo Starr wasn't the best drummer in the world, uh, John Lennon said he wasn't even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> but then when you talk to other drummers like Phil Collins or Dave Grohl, they love Ringo Starr and they love the way that he swings and the way that he he keeps it simple. And so that's where the idea kind of came out of in like trying to figure out, OK, well, who else loves other musicians? And of course, with Stevie Wonder, he's always been very aware of the people and the musicians that came before him. And in mm-hmm. this case, it was Duke Ellington, who he calls, of course, Sir Duke from his uh, nickname. But he also mentions in the song Basie, Miller, Stashmo, and also all the things with Sir Duke as well. So he is a guy who understands that he is in a long line of African. American musicians who have paved the way for somebody like a genius like Stevie Wonder. LCD sound system. Yeah, so with LCD sound system, it's not I'm or uh, I'm having Daft Punk play at my house. It's Daft Punk is playing at my house. So there's a little bit of a difference between having the band play at your house and mm-hmm. the actual music is playing at your house. So Daft Punk is playing at my house is uh, by uh, LCD Sound System, which is really James Murphy. And what James Murphy wanted to do was literally explain to people that the influence of Daft Punk should not be forgotten in today's alternative rock and also EDM world where he's actually playing the 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 music at house parties and because there's a little bit of five or six years of separation between Daft Punk and LCD Sound System, he's just trying to make sure that people don't forget about the purveyors of EDM music. Okay. Hey, what he got for me, but I know that you know All the things that I'm a-saying in a many times more Bob Dylan, Song to Woody, gotta be Woody Guthrie. Yeah, absolutely. So Songs to Woody is a tribute, of course, to Woody Guthrie, and he played the song um, to Woody 
when Bob Dylan left Minnesota and traveled to New York by bus, visiting Woody in the hospital in 1961 to play him the actual song just to show how much Woody Guthrie actually meant to him. The track also mentioned other influences for Bob Dylan, including um, Sonny Terry and Lead Belly, but really it's truly Woody Guthrie, the man that influenced Bob Dylan the most. Sweet Home Alabama. Yeah, Sweet Home Alabama was written by Leonard Skinner as an answer to two songs by Neil Young, Southern Man and Alabama. Both songs dealt with themes of racism and slavery in the American South. And Neil Young thought that Leonard Skinner had a lot to do with the increase of Confederate flags that were being shown at Neil Young's show. So Leonard Skinner decided to write Sweet Home Alabama containing the songs Well, I heard Mr. Young sing about her. I hope Neil Young will remember a Southern man don't need him around anyhow. So it was kind of like a rock beef about 40 years before the <laughs> rap stars decided to go at it one another. Did, did Neil Young ever respond? He did, actually. In his book, Waging Heavy Peace, his autobiography in 2012, he says that his own Alabama song richly deserved the shot that Leonard Skinner gave him with their great record. So he kind of eased up a little bit on his anger and his frustration with racism and his blaming Leonard Skinner, which even today, you can't really say that a band has a lot to do with their audience. Billy Joel. Yeah, so We Didn't Start the Fire is a really good example of musicians paying tribute to not only other musicians, but other things as well. Um, There's a hundred headline events between 1949, which is the year that Billy Joel was born, and 1989 when the song was released. The song was nominated for a Grammy Award and hit number one in the U.S. And Billy Joel got the idea for the song because he's a history nut. In fact, before he became a performer, he actually wanted to become a history teacher. So he went through all of the decades of his life explaining to the audience and the listener what had happened. So he talks about Johnny Ray and big Broadway shows and South Pacific and Walter Cronkite and Joe DiMaggio. And then he went to the 50s and the 60s and the 70s right up until the 80s. He also said that it was the worst melody he has ever written in a song, (laughs) but he kind of likes the lyric as well. Well, thanks so much, Eric, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much. Connect with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler at WhatSheSaidTalk.com. Well, they say April showers brings May flowers, but there's no clues as to what snow and freezing rain will bring other than maybe depression. And there's nothing like snow, freezing rain, gray skies, and generally lousy weather to get us thinking about sunshine and summertime. But if you can't actually rush to beach season, you can read it. And joining us now is Tracy Nestle, the Vice President of Communications at Rakuten Kobo, Inc., who has some great books to take our minds off eternal winter. 
Is it just me or is winter eternal? It, 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 it is. It, it seems it, to be. It's Canada. <laughs> Come on. Right, right. Every year I go through this and I think, why, why, why? And well, there's the winter and then there's the three months that you're anticipating it. And then the three months you're saying, thank God it's over. And then, <laughs> and then it's, it's back over. again. Exactly. Exactly. Well, the thing is, is that summer reading season is is pretty rich um, mm-hmm. and, and pretty fabulous. And if you're looking for great books to take to the beach or summer reads... Remember this name. Ellen Hildebrand is your go-to author. She writes um, about love and romance and summer vacation, usually set in Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard. Um, and she's got, every year, she's got a new and really delicious book to read. comes out in June, usually. So we are recommending for now mm-hmm. um, her latest book, The Identicals. And it's about, as the name implies, uh, about identical twins. They look exactly alike, but they couldn't be more different in terms of personality. One is kind of a, you know, laid back, beer in a shot kind of girl. And the other one is very refined and ladylike and so on and so on. Naturally, they don't get along especially well. And for reasons that um, become clear in the book, while one lives in Martha's Vineyard and the other lives in Nantucket, they decide that they're going to have to switch islands. It's all explained in the book. I'm not going to give you any spoilers here. But when they do, they also kind of step into one another's lives and all kinds of secrets unfold. And there's, you know, the requisite romance and heartbreak and coming together again as sisters, all kinds of stuff. Um, And then once you're finished that... It'll probably be June, and then you can um, read <laughs> Get her new book. new book called The Perfect Couple, and I recommend it without even looking at it, just because she's so fabulous. Really? The Perfect Couple. Is there such a thing? <laughs> I'm going to read it just to find out. Exactly. Now, Provence. Provence. So Ooh. the next book and books that I'm going to recommend are written by, and remember this name, M.L. Longworth. And this is an author who's... Um, writes mysteries that are set in Provence. The first of the series is called Death at the Chateau Bremont, and that takes place in Aix-en-Provence. The main character is um, a chief magistrate named uh, Antoine Verlac. He and his on-again, off-again girlfriend, Marine Bonnet, have to solve this murder. And it's one of those stories where everyone has something to hide, everyone has a reason to want this nobleman of the mm-hmm. chateau dead who is it what's going on all of that but never mind all of that there is no murder so grisly that we don't have time to stop for lunch and rosé so there's <laughs> lots of descriptions about food and wine and the weather and the garden and the flowers lavender and all and, of that yeah. so it's very convivial and lovely you know except for that Murder. Murder, yeah. <laughs> right. Which could just, you know, take the edge off yeah. your exactly. lunch. Exactly. Yeah, really. Exactly. I definitely have to read this next one. I love this title. Well, our next book is set in Connecticut, which isn't exactly yeah. summery, weather a little bit like this. But 
We recommend When Life Gives You Lululemons by Lauren <laughs> Weisberger. Now, Lauren, oh, I love Lauren Weisberger. Right. She's yeah. the woman who wrote The Devil Wears Prada. Yes. And in this book, the main character from The Devil Wears Prada, Emily. Oh, Emily, I, I'm, I'm one stomach flu away from my goal weight. Exactly. <laughs> Best line ever. Exactly. And true. Um, she has gone on um, from New York to Hollywood, where she is um, an image consultant, whatever that is. And unfortunately, she falls on hard times. Things aren't working out. She's got to come up with a, a plan and what she's going to do. And right on time, there's a disaster. Luckily, a gorgeous former model who's married to a senator um, gets caught in a bit of a scrape. Um, her life falls apart. She's got tabloids chasing her. Her husband leaves her. What is she going to do? She's going to move to Greenwich and hire Emily. <laughs> and they're going to um, set the town on fire. So Greenwich, Connecticut is where, as the book says, lawns and women are perfectly manicured. The te Tito's, and that's tequila, right? Yeah. And sodas, hooray, are... <laughs> extra strong and everyone has something to say about this infamous new neighbor and her um, new helper. Oh, Tracy, my, my, my summer's looking up. Thank you. Yeah, this is absolutely. awesome. It's going to be great. Now, you can find all of the books uh, that were mentioned today at Kobo.com slash What She Said. And Tracy Nesdely, as always, thank you for joining us today. And we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Can't wait. What She Said with Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good-to-grow high-interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half-calf, half-sweet, no-foam latte with whip. <sighs> Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. Yay! And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. The pill where you lay your head Now holds my empty dreams instead And it keeps right on a-hurting since you go Well, despite better options, more than 5 million Canadians are turning to opioids and painkillers as a first step to managing their frustrating daily muscle and joint pain. Joining us now to discuss Canada's opioid crisis is chiropractic physician Dr. Sapner Shuram. Dr. Sapner, welcome back to What She Said. Thank you for having me again, guys. And congratulations on the new baby. Thank it's not you. so new anymore. He's not so new. He's not so new. Yeah. But since the last time we saw yes, you. Yes, I was quite big. <laughs> so let's talk about this, because I, I was unaware that Canada is actually the second highest consumer of prescription opioids in the world. More than 2,800 opioid-related deaths reported nationwide last year. Yeah. Um, so what are the most common types of pain plaguing Canadians? So, you know, what's what's so astonishing and people don't realize this, even when I read it, like I know how significant it is, but even when you read the statistics, you're just yeah. like, wow, that's crazy. 90% um, of 
individuals in Canada last year alone complained of some sort of injury or pain. And that most of the common ones were back pain, neck pain, headaches, knee pain, and shoulder pain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these are common musculoskeletal injuries and they comprise almost one in three visits that people will seek to their doctor's office or walk-in clinic. So what would be the more effective ways to manage that pain before turning to that level of medication? So, you know, it's interesting to me because a lot of the times with these individuals that are experiencing pain, about 80% of those individuals will turn to pain-relieving medication as their first line of defense, be it an over-the-counter or a prescription opioid um, medication. And I think a lot of it is that people people just assume I'm in pain, I should take medication. A lot of the times they don't even see their doctor. And then at times once they see their doctor, they're being prescribed because the pain is so intense. And I think, you know, there's a huge misconception about what other first steps could be. And a lot of the times, even just seeing, you know, a, a physical therapist, a chiropractor to actually be assessed and diagnosed and treated can reduce that uh, requirement of pain medication. Has it changed from regular, from you know, medical doctors mm -hmm. used to not suggest you going to a chiro chiropractor? Yep. My, mine does, mine yep. did, and recommended a, a chiropractor to help with my migraine pain, sure. which was a neck adjustment. Right. So great, but... But a lot of doctors won't recommend chiropractors. Is that changing? I think, I mean, you know, I've worked for 10 years in the field and I've only exclusively worked with family doctors who I have a great relationship with. And I think like anything else, it's about education. It's about evidence. And, you know, the evidence is there that supports that chiropractic, um, you know, interventions can reduce the the cause, the injuries and the effects of the pain that it, it, it plays on a patient. And, you know, by reducing the incidence of pain medication, I think everyone can get on board with that. And I think that, you know, when that education is becoming more at the forefront, and doctors right now are feeling complete pressure and stress with patients coming in being in pain and they need alternative solutions as well. And I think what's really changing right now is, you know, the fact that physicians also realize that medication, it's a Band-Aid effect. And we can mm -hmm. look at other options that are more conservative and that are alternative to help these patients with managing their acute and chronic pain. Since we've heard all these stats about these opioid-related deaths and there's mm -hmm. a huge conversation going on about why are we prescribing this uh, have you noticed a change in more people being referred to you uh, and more doctors having a conversation about that, that they really don't want to prescribe this unless absolutely necessary? Well, I see all mixes of patients. You know what? I see a lot of the patients that have ignored their symptoms or just, you know, use pain medication as a Band-Aid and then, you know, boom, they're in chronic states. And at this point, they're fed up and their doctors want them off pain medications. I've also seen, you know, patients that have the education and are told by a doctor before I do anything, go see a chiropractor or physiotherapist and get treated first. And then let's reassess in a week or two and see what our options are. And I've had the patients that actually do both simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Is there a cost uh, involved that is the barrier to them, to, to, to people going and seeking Absolutely. other treatments? Absolutely. I think cost is always going to be a barrier. You know, we are one of the you know leading countries with the best healthcare system, but you know, unfortunately things like physiotherapy, massage, chiropractic, it's not traditionally covered by OHIP anymore. Um, but that being said, a lot of private insurances do have some sort of coverage available to you. And more importantly, too, I think one of the biggest things is that, you know, when you look at the cost of paying for prescription medication, that's a cost as well. And if you don't have insurance to cover that, then you don't have insurance to cover your treatments either. So when people really look at it, if you're paying, if you're getting your drugs covered, you more than likely have some sort of coverage for your physical therapy as well. Mm -hmm. um, what that cap is, you know, I don't know. But what's great is that most physical therapists, chiropractors, massage therapists, they'll work within your budget. 
budget. They'll give you a lot of home care. They'll give you access to free resources online so that you can do rehab and treatment or exercises at home. And I think that's what's really important. And so when someone comes to me having a, a, bar- a barrier such as cost, I always try to help them to the best of my ability so that they can get themselves out of pain or manage their pain better without having to constantly just rely on pain meds. Now, a report by the Canadian Chiropractic Association for World Spine Day also, as well as finding that women are more likely than men to suffer from and get help with all the things you said, headaches, neck, upper Mm -hmm. back and hip pain. They also um, uncovered regional trends. So Albertans rank the highest for opioid use and suffer the most from headaches, while British Columbians are least likely to use opioids and rank highest for sitting longer than 12 hours Per day, which like, is really interesting because yeah. I would think Toronto, like Torontonians, would sit the longest, given you know that we have the crazy you know financial district and everyone that has these crazy sitting jobs. So I find that interesting because yeah. most, most people in Vancouver are active, right? They've got the great weather, they're out more, they're a lot more active well, in general. Yeah, I mean it's sort of the story, you know, right? British Columbians are out hiking and yes. surfing and so doing I did all kinds actually find that statistic mm-hmm. quite yeah. interesting, and I was like, hmm, I what's with they... the headaches in Alberta? Is that uh, is that <laughs> is that barometric pressure? Maybe I wonder. You you know what? I'm not too sure. But, you know, when you hear these statistics, like I'm so sheltered, I treat people here in, you know, Toronto. And so I'm, I'm so astute to what's going on in my region. But when I see these statistics, I always wonder that, you know, maybe it's part of their job. Maybe it's part of, you know, the environment, the climate. Who knows? But it's always very interesting. Um, or maybe it's the types of individuals that seek care. Or maybe Why do you, you know? think women are more likely to than men to suffer from these pains? Well, you know, I think women are more likely to do something about their pain. They're more likely to report it. They're more likely to see their doctor about it. And so when you look at the actual, you know, and, and women, a lot of the times, they're, just, they're the decision maker in the family. How often do you hear about a guy that comes in being like, I am only here to see you because my wife told me that mm-hmm. I need to see you. So, you know, a lot of the times I think that there's a huge you know, implication where you're thinking maybe it's just the men not reporting it. Maybe it's the men not actually, you know, mm-hmm. um, saying that they have issues or, or any injuries. When in reality, once you start treating them and you see these patients come in, they're no different. You, you see men and women equally with the same types of injuries. There's a sign at my chiropractor's office that, <laughs> that says, you know, I thought it would go away. Right. I thought it would get better. Right. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. And one of the biggest things I always educate everybody on my entire, you know, my entire mindset is so integrative and it's all about, you know, being aware. And I think one of the biggest things that people don't realize is that pain is a signal. It's there to tell you something's wrong. When the signal goes away, one of the biggest things that people think is that, well, my pain went away, so I'm all better. A lot of the times these injuries, most injuries, 99% of the time will return if you didn't actually Mm -hmm. rehabilitate it and treat it appropriately the first time. So even though the pain is gone, doesn't necessarily mean the injury is gone. And I think that's one of the biggest things that really ends up, you know, creating the cyclical pattern where patients will be like, I threw my back out again. I threw my back out again, or my shoulder's still bothering me, or I have another headache. And I think, again, it's always that it always comes back to people just think that pain equals injury, no pain equals recovery. And that is the biggest misconception that we see every single day. With every patient population, including athletes. So what is the answer? Is, I mean, do we need a more integrated approach to manage pain? Absolutely. I think a team-based approach is what's going to be the most financially, you know, cost-saving for any patient with or without insurance. I think it's going to, you know, increase patient outcomes because of, at this point, when you have a team, you have solutions. You have not one person managing your symptoms, but you have a team of people. And that team can talk to each other, can communicate, and you can actually you know, come up with solutions that are more individualistic. Because a lot of the times, what's going to work for you is not going to work for somebody else, even if your injuries are the same. 
But there, there must be people who need opioids. Of course. And I don't think the I don't think the solution here is to say how do we eradicate the use of opioids, but I think what's what we're trying to do is say how many of these people actually validly need opioids as their for first how long? line of defense exactly and for how long because the reality is is that the majority of those that take opioids will become dependent mm-hmm. and will assume that that's what they need to get better. When in reality, we know it's a Band-Aid. A daughter's, uh, one of my daughter's boyfriends um, hurt his hand, broke his mm-hmm. hand, um, and left the hospital with a prescription for 24 Oxycontin. Wow. I'm like, wow, throw them away. Wow. And yeah. we'll just try some Tylenol-3 for a couple of days. Right. Which is what he took, and right. then everything was fine. Right. And, you know, and then you throw in when you have better, you know, ability to cope with the pain, you throw in some physical therapy, some chiropractic care, whatever it is that you need at that time. And, you know, a lot of patients see a faster recovery. They see less reliance on medication. Mm-hmm. And in general, you don't have to worry with the side effects of what comes with those meds because it's not really treating the injury. And we know that. Now, people can learn more by visiting chiropractic.ca. Yes. And where can they find you? And they can find me by visiting drsapna.com. Ah. <laughs> think about that for a second. <laughs> drsapna.com. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for evening. having me, ladies. Christine Bentley and Kate Wheeler will be right back. To contact the show, go to whatshesaidtalk.com. Escape instantly with Kobo. Discover nearly 6 million ebooks and audiobooks on Kobo.com. Download the free Kobo app and start reading today. It's a world of stories in the palm of your hand. Still being picked on for being picky? Perfect. Meridian's good to grow high interest savings account was made for you. At Meridian, we say be picky. Order that half calf, half sweet, no foam latte with whip. Try on your whole closet until your outfit is outstanding. And accept nothing less than 3% interest for four months when you open your first good-to-grow high-interest savings account. Meridian, expecting more for your money. That's wealth esteem. Terms and conditions apply. This is 105.9 The Region. There's nothing like a parade The promises you shouldn't have made What if you What you're listening to is Back to the Hard Times by Canadian Folk Roots Band, The Young Novelist, who are here in studio with us now. Please welcome Graydon and Laura. Hello. Hello. So great to have you here. Now, you two are married, but for people who may not know, tell us how you got together and started The Young Novelist and why you named the band that. Uh, the the project actually came from a solo project of, of Graydon's. When he moved to Toronto, I was still back at school in Waterloo, um, and Graydon was just doing a bunch of different things in, in music, writing, uh, and acting, and w- eventually realized that he needed to focus maybe on one thing. Uh, <laughs> so he recorded a solo album, and I... I I did harmonies for for a lot of that album, um, and the and that that album was called Goodnight Young Novelist. So it's his way of of sort of focusing on music and uh, and kind of pursuing that. And so the band was born from from that album and, and us touring. Uh, those songs, and so we decided to call ourselves Graydon James and the Young Novelist, and then Graydon then got kicked kicked out of the band. (laughs) That's how it goes. So you tour um, more than 100 shows a year, um, but you also have a seven-year-old son. Do you take him with you? 
on tour? What's we, that like? Yeah, we we do sometimes when it makes sense, mm-hmm. um, and and other times he's with grandparents. We have a really amazing support network mm-hmm. that we could not do what we do without. Um, 2016, we we were on a cross Canada and U.S. Uh, like tour two and a half months on the road uh, and Simon came with us uh, w- along with our that manager. must be pretty neat though to be able to show him it everything was really great and I mean he's now seen as much of North America as I have, which is pretty <laughs> yeah. cool too yeah yeah now you just released your third studio album called In City and Country and the premise of this is really quite special yeah it is yeah, we, uh, we're we both small-town, born-and-raised folks, and we're now living in the big city. Um, and it was just a, a, a way to sort of reconnect to our roots and to kind of tell some of the stories about these particular small towns that we really love. Well, you have an upcoming hometown show Thursday, May 24th at the Transact Club. Where mm-hmm. can people go to get more information about you and the shows and your tours? Our website, theyoungnovelist.com. Uh, you can find everything through there, but we are on all of the social media sites that you would expect. Under the young novelist? Uh, uh, the young novelist, yeah. The young novelist. Yeah. So that makes it easy. It yeah. makes it pretty We try. <laughs> <laughs> well, Graydon James and Laura Spink, thank you both for joining us today. Thanks so much for having us. Now, that is What She Said for this weekend. Make sure you follow us on social media at What She Said Talk. We'll be back next Saturday and Sunday at noon right here on 105.9 The Region. But singing us out now, here are the young novelists performing I Moved On. Those three long Enough to curse But I can't push it aside Like the jealous tide It's for the best Well that's absurd Just like the rest Will rest assured I can't close my eyes I see both sides
when we play outside we become healthier both mentally and physically we become more creative and more focused we connect with nature each other and ourselves let's take this outside a new podcast hosted by me marianne iveson an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover i speak to athletes outdoor professionals and scientists about their connection to nature how it affects their performance and everyday life Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.